Well, Merry Christmas, uh, a beautiful Christmas Eve, right? In New Orleans, we wouldn't have it any other way. I would invite you to open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 20 today, and I'm going to kind of read as we go along. Uh, we're going to unpack this big idea on Christmas Eve of peace, that Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. Uh, does anybody need a little peace in their life? Anybody? Am I the only one? Um, is it, you know, is, is there a light at the end of the tunnel once the kids get out of the house? Can anybody tell me that? No, it only gets worse. Uh, well, Debbie's saying yes, because you're stuck with Robert, right? You know, and so uh, we know a lot of people, hey, right outside of our door, you know, we had an accident right here this morning. And uh, there are a lot of people that Christmas Eve or Christmas probably didn't go in the way that they want. Maybe they have financial stress. Maybe they have health stress. Natasha's with us. She has a brand new uh, back. And, uh, you know, she's like the Terminator, you know, with a new cybernetic back. You know, so we're glad that she's here. Um, but we have people that we know who are sick. Uh, the Burnses aren't with us this morning because they're sick. Uh, pray for them um, as they, I don't know if they're still going on the road, but even y'all know it's not fun to travel even while you're sick. So pray for them. Uh, pray for everybody today. I know Lizzie's going to get on the road and drive to Georgia, uh, and hopefully the weather gets a little bit better once she get away from the Gulf South, you know, and so we just pray for everybody as you, uh, or, or like, you know, Chris has family in town, right? You need peace, you know, right? Yeah, we all need peace, you know, so we'll pray for the next few days, but when we, when we do that, let's not lose sight of, y'all know you see the signs, right? Jesus is the reason for the season, and I remember one of the one of the primary ways in which my grandfather, Charles Carter, used to reorient us for the reason why we celebrate and gather was uh, before Christmas, more on Christmas morning when we're all excited to eat and uh, open presents. My family did like a morning brunch. Uh, so Laura's family does more like Christmas dinner. So my, my tradition was that, you know, we're ready to eat. We're ready to open presents after we eat all these things, my grandfather would sit down and read the Christmas story. And it just always reminded me and centered me for why we, why we celebrate and why we do what we do during this season. Jesus Christ is our peace. And what we see in the scripture we're going to read this morning is that peace was prepared. That's our first point this morning. Peace was prepared. Let's read the first five verses of Luke chapter 2. Together, It says, in those days, and those days are talking about the historical setting that Luke is about to present to us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. A census was being taken. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so that everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Talking about their ancestral town or their birth town. And Joseph went up, to, uh, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and family line, the lineage of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So what we see here is that peace is about to come in the form of the baby son, Jesus. But what we see here is that God is orchestrating everything at this moment so that peace would come. We know the New Testament tells us that in the fullness of time, right, Mary gave birth, right, and Jesus came. And so 
if you study history and all that was happening at this time, even as we look, I love that, that Luke mentions Caesar Augustus, because Caesar Augustus was, was really responsible for bringing um, order and peace after years of civil war to the Roman Empire. Uh, he instituted the famous uh, Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. And so what we see here is that there was, a, there was a highway system they had developed, the Roman road. There was relative peace. Greco-Roman culture had really infiltrated most of the known world. So there was a common language. It was the perfect time for God to show up at the right time. And, and he was orchestrating all this behind the scenes. Augustus was not a friendly man. He was, in fact, a very brutal ruler. But he was a master administrator. And like I said, restored order to the empire. In fact, his name wasn't Augustus. He was given that name. Uh, and the name Augustus means sacred or exalted. Sacred or exalted. Literally did this evil ruler know who himself was proclaimed as sacred and exalted, that the true sacred and exalted son of man was about to come in the form of a baby in Bethlehem. Peace was repaired. God was working behind the scenes. God used Caesar Augustus to bring about uh, his master plan. That just like Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament or Cyrus, or even think about the Pharaoh, you know? We get to the book of Romans says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart really to bring about his purposes. God doesn't cause evil to happen, but God sees, sees the rebellion and evil that is happening and he works it out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So in this time, God used Caesar Augustus to declare that a census needed to be taken. Now, there's some debate historically on when this happened. You know, there's even some debate on what year Jesus was actually born in. Y'all know it's like there's some debate. Is it the year zero? Uh, now you see BCE and is a CE or some common era B BCE? Some people think that's because they're trying to take Christ out of it. Maybe they are, but, but it's really because now they date that Jesus' birth may have taken place more around like 4 BC. And so they're like, okay, well, this isn't before Christ. And, you know, these, these early years in the BCs aren't before Christ anymore. So they're kind of adjusting it. And so what we see here is that likely multiple censuses were happening in the empire. And we know of censuses that took place during Caesar Augustus' reign. Even Quirinius, who we, is mentioned, the governor of Syria, conducted multiple censuses, even one in the year 86 that we have historical evidence for. So we know that he took censuses, and these censuses were either for military service or taxes. We have a census every year, right? It's April 15th. How many people are excited about that? That's coming up, right? We get past Christmas and that's like, oh, tax season, right? We're poor and then, we, you know, some of us get big refunds. Some of us have to pay the government. I don't know why we have to pay Louisiana every year. I'm like, what are they not taking out? Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's what we've always done, right? What's guaranteed in life, right? What is, what is it? Death and taxes, right? You know, and so that's what was happening because we know that Jews weren't required for military service. So this wasn't a census for military service. This is more likely a census for taxes. Maybe, maybe some have speculated that Joseph owned some land in Bethlehem. It says he went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem. If you look at a map, you're like, wait, 
Nazareth's by the Sea of Galilee, and he's going south. Well, what they're doing here is they're trekking up in elevation. So uh, Nazareth is of lower elevation than uh, Bethlehem, and so they're trekking south but going up in elevation. And we know just by looking at a map that this journey was anywhere between 85 and 90 miles. 85 and 90 miles. Ladies that have been pregnant in here, would you enjoy traveling 80 or 90 miles on some sort of caravan or horse or, or even walking? Would you, would you enjoy that? Probably not. They didn't, you know, Henry, Henry Ford hadn't given us, right, the, the, the car at that point. So uh, also, I don't know if you know this, the Bible doesn't say that Mary rode on a donkey. I don't know if y'all know that. It's not in, it's actually not in the Bible, but more than likely she, they were a part of some sort of caravan. And in fact, we're going to get to uh, here in a moment. Sometimes we like to criticize the innkeeper. Oh, there's no room for you in the inn. Well, the word there for inn literally means lodging. And it's probably, uh, it was probably, a, there's some debate on this, but it was probably a lodging for caravans that were that were coming and going to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's where people, you know, Bethlehem is still now very close to Jerusalem. And so it was a, it was a caravans would travel. And so it was like a motel, like their, their version of a motel back then. And uh, oftentimes at night, the animals were brought in to the bottom floor of this motel for, for safety because they weren't out in the fields. They weren't with shepherds. They were, they, were care, they were cared for in the bottom floor of the home. And so y'all know we have all these visions, right, of the manger scene. I'm not here to throw water on them. You know, I don't want to do any of that. Uh, but, uh, but know that there's, this is, we have these beautiful manger scenes. What's the wooden cut ones now? What are those called? Like willow tree, you know, like there's these beautiful, nice manger scenes. But this is really a crude dwelling place for people who are traveling. And this is where God showed up at the right time. And so we see that this probably wasn't in particular the place or the circumstances in which you think peace would come. But peace in this moment was prepared. And it says that they went to the city of David, Bethlehem. Sometimes Jerusalem's called the city of David. Bethlehem's called the city of David. Bethlehem, it was the birthplace of David, we find out in 1 Samuel. Um, and we see that Bethlehem was the place where the, the, the king, the forerunner to Jesus, David, united the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and brought peace between them. And now the true king was going to come who was going to bring peace to everyone. So let's continue to read verses 6 through 16. So peace was prepared, and now we're going to see how peace was presented. So verses 6 through 16. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Maybe you have a translation that says there's no room for them in the inn. And so uh, the CSB, which I'm reading out of today, uh, translates that probably a little bit more accurately. There's no guest room available for them in the end. There was no proper place for Mary to give birth to the king of kings. But what we see here is that God shows up in the most unlikeliest of places at the right time and the perfect time. And so she has, she's about to give birth. 
she gives birth to her firstborn son. Notice it says firstborn. Uh, Mary uh, likely had other children, uh, but we also see that firstborn was of particular interest because God blessed the firstborn of every family. God, God's, God's special provision laid on the firstborn. And so, uh, you know, Lily, you can look at uh, Liam and say, I I'm better than you. I'm firstborn, right? You know, um, and, and then Colden, you can do that to Braden and Ashton. So say, uh, you know, firstborn children, Laura, I married a firstborn child, Laura. I'm the firstborn because I'm the only born, you know? So like I get to have this internal conflict with myself, you know? And so, uh, so it was Travis, right? And so uh, here's the deal. The firstborn was favored by, by God. And the firstborn, even nowadays, firstborn children have a lot of responsibility, right? Typically, when parents pass away, it's typically, not all the time, a firstborn handles the, 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 the issue, you know, all the stuff after someone has passed away. Firstborn, and I have a lot of had a lot have a lot put on them when you go out on a date when your kids are finally able to stay at the house. The firstborn is usually responsible and they hate it, right? You know? So what we see here is that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. But what we know from scripture is that Mary and Joseph had other children, and particularly Mary had other children. It doesn't mention that Joseph has other children. There are some traditions in Christianity that believe that Mary was perpetually a virgin. But what we see here is that in Scripture, it actually says Joseph knew her not until after Jesus was born. I don't want to get too much in the Greek with you, but knew her not means that they had more children. It means that they took uh, the actions and steps to have more children. And so what we see here is that the New Testament tells us of four brothers of Jesus. We have James, Joseph, or Joseph, Judas, or Jude, and, and Simon, you know, um, and we, what we see here is that even in our New Testament, we have two books. James was written by Jesus' little brother, James, and the book of Jude was likely this Judas or Jude, probably went by Jude because there was another Judas that, you know, you didn't want to get confused with. You know, we all have those names, right? And furthermore, that's why Jesus, I don't know if you know Christ, means anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, but he's referred to in the early church as Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one, because there were other Jesuses. It was a common name. Joseph was another, or Joshua was another form of Yeshua, Jesus. And so what we see here is that the name literally identified who he was, which was the anointed one. I love what Robert Stein says here. He says, the irony of the most important event in history taking place in a manger should not be lost in the sight of those looking upon it. It reveals how God elevates the lowly and humble and rejects the proud and mighty of this world. Uh, furthermore, I love what James Leo Garrett says in his systematic theology, to be redeemer of humankind, Jesus must identify himself with human beings and at the same time transcend the human race Thus, fittingly, he was begotten of the Holy Spirit and born of a woman. So Jesus' other brothers, four of which are mentioned, and sisters, we don't get their names, but they were literally half-brothers and sisters because Jesus was born, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. And this is, like, we can't even fathom what this means, but this meant this was all to take place because 
we inherit the sin of our father, the first Adam. God would provide a more perfect Adam, his name was Jesus. And so what we see here is that for him to be born sinless, he was born of a virgin, Mary, in a humble estate in Bethlehem. Peace was presented. Now we're going to see how the peace was presented to those in the region, the shepherds. Let's look at verses 8 through 16 together. It says, in the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. These angels weren't like precious moments angels. These were, this is, this is angelic beings that scared the living snot out of you. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And today in the city of David was born for you, who is the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth or swaddled and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, peace and on earth to the people that he favors. And when the angels left and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in the manger. So the angels in particular said, go and find the baby who's lying in a manger. You know why? It wasn't common to put a baby in a manger. Baby was literally in the place where the animals fed from. We don't know that there were animals there. We can assume that there were animals there, but this was not a clean place. This was not the beautiful manger scene that we have put together. In fact, uh, we don't have manger scenes that are realistic. I don't see any donkey poop anywhere in any manger scene I've ever seen, right? Uh, have you been on a farm before? Like farms uh, smell. They don't all look like Chip and Joanna Gaines farm on HGTV, right? Or whatever their channel is, you know, <laughs> Magnolia Network. Like they don't look like that. Farms are dirty places. And so places where animals are kept are not the cleanliest of places. And this is where God shows up for you and me. I love furthermore by, by, by making the connection that not only did God show up in a, in a manger in Bethlehem, which Bethlehem wasn't a gigantic town, you would have thought they'd have gone to Jerusalem, that God would go to Jerusalem. I say they, I mean it that way, that's kind of heretical. You'd think that God would have thought to go, there's one God, three persons, not they. You know, you would have thought he would go to Jerusalem, right? But no, he goes to Bethlehem. This fulfills the Old Testament, right? Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are small among the clans of Judah, one will come from you that will be a ruler over Israel for me. Furthermore, if you remember back to the story of Joseph, Jesus comes from the line of Judah and of the tribe of Judah. And this is what, uh, this is what Jacob told, Jacob Israel told his son Judah as he was about to die. He said in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scepter will not depart from you, Judah. The scepter or the staff between your feet until the one who is right comes and the obedience of the people will belong to him. So this promised Messiah has come in the form of a baby. God became man, fancy word that we learn in seminary called hypostatic union, where he became fully God and fully man, 
and he came for you and me. I love what Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read these verses for you. I love how it describes Jesus' birth. It says, adopt the same attitude that of Christ Jesus, who though existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. He poured himself out just like he does on the cross for you and me himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And what do we see when the angels show up? They declare to these lowly shepherds, not these rich rulers, but these lowly shepherds, they declares to them and says, a baby is now born and you'll find him in a manger, a place that you wouldn't think you'd find a baby. And they go and they find this baby. The angels leave. What do the angels do when they show up? The angels start praising, right? Glory to God in the highest, peace and on earth, goodwill to men. And so what we see here is that this peace that is declared is, is really the good news that Jesus brings. Peace is synonymous with salvation. Peace in, in, the, New, in the New Testament, irene, in the Greek is the form of shalom. In the Old Testament, it's literally the peace, the calm, the completeness, the well-being, the harmony, the security that only Yahweh can bring. So this peace on earth that was being declared and this goodwill or to whom God favors, God chose us despite us. There's nothing that we did. He favored us. It doesn't say that we did anything to create favor, but this peace that comes to us is by God's unconditional love and sovereignty. And so when we look at the Christmas story and we're like, how did Mary, how was she overcome by the Holy Spirit they didn't teach me that in science class. Like, how does that work? And we look at all this, and sometimes we were talking about the Trinity with Braden, right? Yesterday when we were bored in the car waiting for the bonfires, you know, or, yeah. Uh, so if you didn't know that, that journey, we, we took about f a little over five hours going to see the bonfires yesterday in, in Lutcher and Gramercy. Papa Noel must have come a day early out there because that's what it's for, right? It, it lights the way for Papa Noel. But what we see is that we were talking about Brayden, and he was asking some Trinity questions about, uh, you know, like I corrected myself when I said they earlier, because God's not a they. God's not three separate gods. One God, three persons. Well, is God's human form Jesus? And what we told him is we were like, no, God, God is, is without form, but Jesus isn't just God's human form. Jesus is part of the Trinity. We talked about, oh my gosh, you can get into heresy really quick here if you mess up. But we're talking about this and like none of this, like it all blows our mind. And we were talking about places in the Bible and then the New Testament where it talks about the Trinity and it's not one God appearing in three different ways. It's three persons, one God and who've existed for all time. That Jesus, even though he's called the son of God, he wasn't conceived by God. Jesus is eternal. Um, he's the one that chose to leave the riches of heaven to be obedient to the, I know all this blows your stinking mind. And here's what we should do. When we think about God and when we think about the manger, we should not only just allow for mystery and faith. 
I don't want to be a cop-out to say, oh, you can't question things. You just need to have faith. No, it's, God's okay with our questions. But I think we should look at the manger and just be overwhelmed at how awesome and how good God is and how it doesn't make any sense. One of my favorite artists uh, is a guy named John Mark McMillan. He's a little different, but he wrote that song, How He Loves, uh, how, Oh, How He Loves Us. Um, that's not how he, like how he long loves. It's like how he loves, you know? And so uh, uh, he wrote that song and um, there's a song, Silent Night, his version of it adds a tag at the end. And he goes, and the whole tag is about smiling in the mystery. Like the silent night causes us to be overwhelmed with joy and the smile at the mysterious work of Jesus Christ. And that's just, it's overwhelming. Peace was presented to you and me. Peace came in the most unlikeliest of form and to the most unlikeliest of persons. And this was good news that would be for all the people. For good news to be good, it's got to go to some places that are bad. So God showed up. And I, I don't know if you know this, maybe then the other side of it is like, oh, well, then the Magi came. You know, we three kings of Orient are, you know. We three kings, it, nowhere in Scripture does say that they were kings. I, I'm just destroying your, I can, there's so many things in the Christmas story I could destroy today if you want me to, because a lot of it's not found in the Bible. Like, it came upon a midnight clear. It says nowhere there was a midnight that Jesus was born. You know, all these things. Some of these things are traditions that are outside of Scripture, and they're fine. But the Magi were likely even, and I know we're not telling their story, their story is in Matthew. But the Magi were likely not these well-thought-of people themselves. Magi literally means fortune teller or wise man, right? We've heard them called wise men. These were the dirty people. These were the grunge people. These were the inner city people. These were the rednecks. You know, these are the people that you don't, like, you like to make fun of and, and not associate with. And even shepherds. Shepherds went from a, of a, a duty in the time of David that was well thought of, a family business, to now shepherds were synonymous with crooks. In our modern, our modern world, shepherds may have been, like, I'm not saying they did drugs, but they would have been thought of as, like, drug dealers or, or people who were robbers. Uh, people that we want to throw in prison. This is a, a grungy profession. And this is where God showed up. He showed up in the most unlikely of places to bring peace, good news, that's for all the people. Just like God said long ago he would do through Abraham and through the nation of Israel, through you, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse, into verse 3. Trent Butler says of this, he says, in the most unlikeliest of places amid the unlikeliest of spectators, God brushed aside the world's fears and provided the world a reason for joy. Joy is not something that we can attain. Have you ever tried to be joyful? You can't try to be joyful. Joy is something that is only brought to you supernaturally. Joy is like when my grandfather, when his wife of 50 years, about to be 50 years, passes away and we go and tell my mom and me and Laura and my uncle, when we go and tell him your wife has just now died, 
he's in the hospital himself. Joy is when his response is, well, praise God. Joy is not something that you can accomplish. Joy is only something that God can give you. And joy doesn't, doesn't go. Joy doesn't go. It doesn't mean that we don't doubt, but it does mean that we complain. Our complaint is called now lament, where we bring our, 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 all of our cares to God and we cast our cares to him and realize that he is the one who cares for us. Last four verses, Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Peace was, was, peace was prepared, peace was presented, and now we see peace is proclaimed. Let's look at verse 17. After seeing them, talking about Mary, the baby, and, uh, and Joseph, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them, but Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditated on them. The shepherds returned and glorified, praising God for all the things they had seen, which, they had, which, which, which were just as they had been told. What we see here is that peace, once it's been presented and once it's been prepared to be presented, once you receive it, once praise erupts, now we have to give it to other people. We have to proclaim it to other people. Even it says, Mary treasured these things in her heart. Like, Mary, did you know? She didn't know everything. Like, she knew some of these things, but she didn't know everything. Like, she, yes, yes, uh, yes, the angel appeared and told Mary, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're going to give birth to Jesus. He's going to save the world, all these things. But Mary still had doubt. Mary, maybe not in doubt, or Mary contemplated. Like Mary didn't have everything figured out. We know this because Jesus's family thought he was insane or had lost it. In the New Testament, we read later on, if Mary knew everything, she wouldn't have questioned with her boys, her own, like her own son. Like, and, and so what we see here is that it's okay to, to have questions, but we have to ponder them in our heart. And while we're pondering, I don't know if you know this, when you present the good news to other people, you don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay when you share Jesus to other people, if they have questions that stump you, I'll get back to you on that one. It's okay to do that. You know what? Your pastor does it. I have a seminary. Seminary doesn't teach you everything. Like they don't. Shannon, you have a seminary degree? No, no. He's in seminary. Does seminary teach you everything? No, no, they don't. They don't. Like, you don't have all the answers. Like, but we do have the one who gives us the answers, which is the Holy Spirit and his inspired word, which we hold in our hands. 66 books, Old Testament new. God's word is to be valued. God's word is to be read. God's word is to be proclaimed. And what we see here is after seeing these things, the shepherds then, they couldn't help, right? The shepherds saw this like miraculous thing take place. And what, not only were they the first recipients of peace or of grace, uh, not only did God grace them in that way, but they received it so that they could then become the first evangelist and tell other people about him. Like they proclaimed peace to everyone who would hear. And this peace is Jesus. And they couldn't help. What is the last verse, chapter, chapter two, verse 20? What does that verse say? It says, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. 
for all things that they had seen and heard. What the angels had done was now modeled by those whom God had appeared to. Remember, God's glory shone around them. It wasn't the glory of the angels. The angels were simply representative of, of God's glory. And so it tells us when we encounter the risen king, when we encounter our savior, we can't help but tell others what we have seen and what we have heard. Actually, in the book of Acts, John and Peter are both being tried and they're saying, they're being told, shut up. Don't say anything else about this Jesus. And they're saying, we can't help but testify. We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Because the same thing that Mary was told in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. This is good news. This is peace that we all proclaim. But even in the midst of that peace, we wait. Even in the midst of that peace, we look back at the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. And right now we wait for the second advent or the second coming of Jesus. I love what Louis Giglio points out here in his devotional waiting here for you. He says, all of us are waiting on something, often wondering if God has forgotten about us. In your waiting, let the, go, let the birth of Christ encourage you. Just because God hasn't come through as far as you can see, it doesn't mean that he has abandoned you. I can guarantee you at this very moment, he's working for his glory and your good. That's not a guarantee. That's actually in scripture, right? Romans 8, 28. He's working for his glory and your good. Don't give up until before the time is right. Take hope in the manger and know that you are loved and prized by God who stepped down from heaven and arrived at the very perfect time. Peace is something we have to share. If you've experienced peace in your life, ask yourself today, who needs to hear that good news story? Even on Christmas, when we're all hoping to dodge the rain and get home and all these other, like, think about who in the midst of all of this, Scripture tells us when we throw a feast or a celebration, Find those who are oppressed, those who are poor, those who are downcast. Let's model what God did for you and me. He went and he found shepherds and magi. Magi were likely two years later. I hate to blow your Christmas story out of the water again, right? You know, magi were likely a couple of years later. And so, but God found the most unlikeliest of spectators and showed up at the perfect time. And just as we look at Mary's story where she herself as a, unwed pregnant woman waiting uh, for her betrothal to take place or she was betrothed but waiting for the consummation of her marriage with Joseph she herself was willing to be an instrument of disgrace to become God's instrument for grace as we mentioned earlier may we model the same may we model the attitude of Mary may we model the attitude of Joseph who could have divorced and left her and shamed her, but because God appeared to him and, and clearly through the angel, Gabriel showed him what was about to take place. May we mirror what God has done and may we trust that peace has come and that peace is found in Jesus. Let that be our message this Christmas. As we're opening up presents, let's be reminded that peace is on earth and it's goodwill for those whom God now favors. For mankind, we've been provided away, and his name is Jesus.
Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The end of verse 14, the next verse says, and how are they to hear if someone doesn't preach or tell them about it? If everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, how will they know if we don't tell them? Paul's advice nearly 2,000 years ago is advice, Holy Spirit-centered advice for you and me today. And may we leave with that power and tell the story to everyone who will hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for the rain that we hear. We thank you that it provides, uh, Lord, we've gone through drought this year and we know what it's like to not have. God, we thank you that you provided, that you provided not just for us physically, Lord, but that you provided for us spiritually. Lord, we know that you have the name above every name, but the way that you acquired that name from the Father is by humbling yourself. So Lord, I pray that we would take on that attitude like Mary and Joseph and, and, and you, God, Jesus, and uh, I pray like the shepherds and the magi, Lord, we would humble ourselves. We would take risks so that we can proclaim the peace that this world needs to hear. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.